This gospel message is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Hour, a ministry of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, a Reformed denomination that strives to be faithful to the Word of God and the historic confessions of the Reformed faith, also known as Calvinism. In love for our great God, we proclaim the Christian faith and life that is founded on God's sovereign particular grace. As God's Word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you. Mark chapter 2, the first 12 verses. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them, and they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, paralyzed man, which was born or carried of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But they were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it in this fashion. There are two great things that take place in these verses. A paralyzed man is healed, and he's able to walk, and the sinner's sins are forgiven. It ought to be obvious which is greater. So let's consider Jesus' authority to forgive sins. First, desired. Second, declared. Third, disputed. And then fourth, demonstrated. When I say desired, I'm referring to the faith of the paralytic and his four friends as they come to Jesus. Jesus calls attention to their faith in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, their faith was something that Jesus saw. It was evident. It was very evident. They had, in their coming to Jesus, a strong desire to be with Jesus, to be at the feet of Jesus. And they come to Jesus because they know, here's the one who's the power to heal. Now, I think it's obvious from the passage that the main purpose of their coming to Jesus was to have their friend healed. But Jesus uses this situation to press deeper into their consciousness their real need of him. So that when he's finished here, this man has come to Jesus for forgiveness. When he saw their faith, he said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Their strong desire to be with Jesus was for the healing of this paralytic. But in their faith for this lesser thing, there are certainly things for us to learn about faith for the greater thing. 
that is forgiveness of sins. Now, as you think about the forgiveness of sins, the greater thing, the question for us this morning is, do I desire forgiveness? How strongly do I desire it? Is this why Jesus and the good news of the gospel are important to me? Do I have the faith of these friends who bring their friend, their paralyzed friend to Jesus for healing? Verse 2 tells us that many were gathered there. That's an understatement. How many were gathered, we don't know, but we know that the house was packed full, standing room only, and overflowing at the windows and the doors. You couldn't squeeze another person in. They were standing around the outside of the house at the windows to hear what Jesus was saying, and they kept coming like bees to a hive. Remarkable faith these five had. You see their trust. They were convinced. They believed beyond all doubt that Jesus could and would heal their friend. They believed his power. There was a positiveness. There wasn't any skepticism as they came to Jesus. Do we have that kind of faith? A mighty God, strong to save, is our God. James says that when we come to him in prayer, we should come nothing doubting. There's a firmness and a trust and a confidence in their faith. And there's a deep concern for their friend as well. Their friend is in need. And they know that if they get their friend to Jesus, there's the power for his healing. You have that kind of faith, which even demonstrates itself in a concern for the spiritual welfare of others, sinful, hurting, dying men and women. You want them to be brought to Jesus. They brought him to hear the voice of Jesus. And they were determined, carrying a bed, a stretcher, with a paralyzed friend, And they were men on a mission. They come, verse 4, to the house. And they could not come near him for the press. And so they uncovered the roof. You see, here their their persistence, their determination, their resolve. They look around. There's no way in. And so they go up on the roof, most likely a flat roof with steps going up there. And they got their friend up there on the roof. They find the approximate place where Jesus was in the house. And they remove the roof. Now, this wasn't like just removing a few tiles or pieces of wood, but these were roofs that were made with wood that was laid crisscross and then packed down with branches and then with mud and with clay. So really, they're digging. They begin to dig at the roof. You can well imagine the disruption inside. The multitudes are pressed into the house around Jesus, and if you were near Jesus, you'd hear a noise above your head, and then a shaft of light coming into the room, and soon a face or two peering down, debris falling from above into your hair and on your clothes, and they keep digging and digging till they've dug a hole that's big enough to let a bed through. Faith is the victory that overcomes. And you see that here in their faith, a persistence, a perseverance, an active faith. And they let him down with some ropes to the feet of Jesus. Here's this paralyzed man at the feet of Jesus who's proclaiming the good news of the gospel. What a picture. A believing, paralyzed man at the feet of Jesus. There's a sign here, isn't there, of who we are by nature. And this man's faith has brought him powerless in himself to the feet of Jesus. Do you see yourself in him, helpless, coming to the feet of Jesus to hear the good news? Then we have in the passage, forgiveness declared, and, and, and Jesus' response is worthy of note. How did Jesus respond? Does he say, I'm, I'm busy 
preaching? This is more important? You've interrupted me? No, he, he sees their faith. And as you look at the Gospels, Jesus often calls attention to strong faith. He wants the people to see this. He never responded by turning those away who came with a strong faith. When the parents were bringing their children and the disciples tried to turn them away, Jesus rebukes them. When the Syrophoenician woman comes and, and Jesus says, no, the food at the table is not for the dogs, she says, yep, yeah, the dogs get the crumbs. When this Roman centurion comes and he says, well, you don't have to come to my house. You just speak the word and he'll be healed. Jesus Jesus marvels and he says, I never saw such great faith in Israel. And here, by this miracle, he calls attention to their faith. He sees their faith. He sees beyond what they've done into their heart. And he stops his preaching. And he says the most unexpected thing. Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Wonderful words that you and I want to hear from Jesus, but unexpected, unexpected. Son. He brings this man by his words into the family of God. Thy sins be forgiven thee. This is the good news. This is the gospel that Jesus preached. We see it already in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. He preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he said, repent ye and believe the gospel. And now here, a filthy, hell-bound, law-breaking sinner, despite his sin is declared righteous and brought into the household of God. That's the gospel. That's the good news that we preach. This is what he was preaching. He was preaching. He was preaching the good news. And here this man was. And really, he continued the sermon. Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. In that declaration, there are important things for us to learn about the forgiveness of sins, especially as we look at this, as it were, first movement of this story. Before the miracle... First, you see here that the forgiveness of sins is the primary, the most important need that we have. Every other need is secondary. They bring him with a physical need, an obvious physical need. He can't walk. He's paralyzed. And Jesus, as it were, says, I'll get you your legs in a minute, but let's talk about your standing before God. Let's talk about your heart. This is why I came. My power to do miracles is incidental to this real work, this miracle is only a sign. You see how primary this is. This is our need. This is our great need. Whatever your needs today, physical, spiritual, relational, emotional, this is your real need to hear the declaration of the Savior. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Everything else is secondary. Then we see here also the necessity of the forgiveness of sins. Jesus doesn't treat this need of forgiveness lightly. He doesn't say, well, I, I see you're here. Let's not talk about sin now. That might upset you. He saw forgiveness of sins as necessary. Though this man had other needs, his primary need was this. And the church today that overlooks or treats sin lightly, that doesn't proclaim the righteousness of God and the forgiveness of the blood of Jesus Christ, has lost the gospel, the good news. We see here, too, that forgiveness is divine. It's a divine declaration. God alone can forgive sins because all sin in the end is committed against God and none but God has, as it were, access to the records of heaven and the freedom to forgive. This declaration comes from the mouth of God. 
not with regard to what man has done, but it comes in justification as a declaration in spite of what we've done, in spite of who we are. And so this forgiveness is free, it's sovereign and free. God determines who will be forgiven. And he forgives freely and unconditionally. You can't buy forgiveness, you can't sell forgiveness, you can't earn forgiveness. God gives it freely. If ever a man could do nothing, it was this man, paralyzed, like the thief on the cross. What could he do? There's nothing greater for us than to know that the forgiveness of sins comes freely, graciously. We don't do to receive, but it's freely granted. This forgiveness is full, complete. Notice the plural. Jesus says, son, thy sins, sins. That word represents in the plural. All of this man's sins, past, present, and future. And when God justifies the ungodly in his justification, every sin is forgiven. Every sin is laid on Jesus Christ, and the price paid for it there. And so this man is forgiven in an instant. He leaves forgiven, like the publican that went up to the temple to pray. He went home to his house justified. Jesus, in the word forgive here, sent away all his sins and all the handwriting of them that was against him. That's forgiveness declared by Jesus. If never he walked again, he was a happy man, forgiven. Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Jesus said that for the audience. Here were the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus said that to provoke them. They were in that house, certain of the scribes and Pharisees, we read. Who were they and what were they doing here? Well, the scribes and Pharisees are the educated religious elite, heads full of knowledge. And they were here to listen to Jesus and to trap him in his words. This is early in Jesus' ministry and already they are after him. They are malicious hypocrites. They're not here to be instructed by Jesus, but to be critical and to be contentious. It's striking in verse 5 that we read that there were certain of the scribes sitting there. Sitting there. They they assume this this sitting position before Jesus. Jesus is on trial before them. That's the point. His ministry has hardly begun. This is the first time they've heard him publicly speaking, but already is on trial. And you see that in verse 7, in their censorious thoughts. Verse 7, why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, they were judging, who can forgive sins but God only? And their conclusion, this is blasphemy. What's blasphemy? Blasphemy is to, to say something that's irreverent and profane against God. And the way that they saw this as blasphemy, and you see this later, when Jesus is on trial before his crucifixion, he makes himself equal with God. That's the blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God only? That's their reasoning. And they were right. Nobody can forgive sins but God only. They knew the scriptures. They could have quoted Psalm 130. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who should stand but with thee? There is forgiveness. God forgives. Isaiah 43. I, even I, I alone is the idea. I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Nobody else. God only. And that's because, as we've seen, all sin is against God. No one else. No religious institution. No system. No ritual. No baptism. No sacrament. No membership. No obedience can earn forgiveness of sins. God only forgives. 
And so they sit there. Jesus says, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And they begin to question. Does this man have the right to forgive sins? That's the idea of power here. He has the authority to forgive sins in verse 10. Blasphemy, they blasphemy. What we should see here on clear display in the hard hearts of these scribes and Pharisees is the depraved heart of man. This is man as he is by nature before the good news of the gospel. This is the unregenerate response to spiritual things. The natural man receiveth not the things of God, for they are spiritually discerned. That's what you have here. Men whose minds are hardened, are dark to the mysteries of the gospel. And the only way for their eyes to be opened is that God does this by the power of his Holy Spirit. It was God by his Holy Spirit that brought these four friends and this paralytic to Jesus. God gave them faith. You certainly run into that before in your life, haven't you? A neighbor, a family member, a friend, an acquaintance at work. You talk to them about Christ and the good news of the gospel. You give them things to listen to. You give them things to read. You pray fervently for them. You go back to them. You follow up. But you see, until God opens their hearts, they're blind. That doesn't mean we stop. We keep on bringing Christ. But it's God who must effectually work the call of the gospel in the heart of man. And what we have here in the Pharisees, then, is is a spiritual illustration of, of the paralytic. They walk in darkness. How does Jesus respond to them? Verse 8. And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he didn't wait. Immediately. You can imagine their surprise. Jesus exposes their heart with his question. Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Another demonstration of of who he is. Of his, not just perception, but his knowledge as God. And he puts them on the defensive with that question. And then he asks another question in verse 9. Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk? And what's important for understanding the question of Jesus here is the word say, the verb say. What's easier to say? And he gives them two options. Is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? In which can a man's authority be verified? Well, of course, it's much easier to say, your sins are forgiven. Who can see that? But God and the witness of the Spirit in the heart of the individual, much more difficult to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And Jesus' point now is this, that if he says, rise, take up your bed, and walk, and the paralytic rises, there would be an indisputable proof of who he is and his authority, and his right. And so Jesus turns, and and you can see how he's provoking the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus turns to the man, and he says this, that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I'm going to say that more difficult thing. And he turns to the man, and he says, Rise, take up thy bed, go thy way into thy house. This will be the moment of proof. No doubt the room was dead silent. Either he was deceiving them, or he was, as he claimed, the Son of Man, the Messiah, and the one who had the power to forgive sins. Now, many in that room knew exactly what would happen. They followed Jesus. They had seen his miracles. 
But now it demonstrated to them something even greater. Here's not just the Son of Man, but the Savior of men. And so they watched. And as Jesus spoke those words, unseen to any human eye, the same power that had made heaven and earth began to work in this man's limbs. His two legs were healed. His muscles were made strong in a moment. His strength became full. He arose. He folded his bed under his arm, and he walked out of there. No therapy. He didn't crawl. He didn't need someone to help him get off the ground. He didn't lean on anyone as he went out of the room. He simply got up, and he walked out. There was no way, just minutes earlier, that this man could come to Jesus, could get into this room. And now here he is. And in amazement, they move back, and the man leaves the scene. Irrefutable proof is given by Jesus here that he had the power and the authority to forgive sins. And we know that this this power that's demonstrated in the miracle looks ahead to the cross and is rooted in the cross. Jesus would come to the cross, he would be put to death, but he's declaring here at the beginning of his ministry what he would accomplish by his death. And so we read in the end of verse 12 that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. We've never seen anything like this before. They glorified God. That's worship. They worshiped God on account of this man's forgiveness. What a, what a moment. Jesus is pressing into their consciousness who he is and why he has come. And in chapter 1, that was... I've come not just to do miracles, but to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Now, I've come not just to proclaim the good news of the gospel, but I've come to declare the forgiveness of sins. This is who I am. And aware of his divine person and power, amazed before the Savior, they worship him in awe. Let's close with these three thoughts. First, we have here on display the authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus. He preached with authority. He cast out demons with authority. He healed the sick with authority. And now that's taken to a whole new level. Who can forgive sins but God only? Who has the right to do this but God only? No angel in heaven, no man upon earth, no church in council, no minister of a denomination can take away the sinner's load of guilt from his conscience and give him peace with God. All that a man can do is point him to the fountain of forgiveness. They cannot put away sin from God's sight. God only. And now here, without blasphemy, is the one who says, I've come to forgive. God in the flesh. Second, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful to know that this is the power of our Savior? Jesus Christ is our mediator. The one who stands before a just God who will by no means clear the guilty. And between us, guilty sinners... And don't you see in in your guilt and before the wrath of God, your need of covering, your need of forgiveness. And here's Jesus, the high priest that we need. Strong to save, mighty to forgive, merciful. Hebrews says, having such a high priest, let us draw near. Let's come boldly to the throne of grace. And it really leaves us with this question in the third place. Why have you come to Jesus? Have you come for pardon? There are many other reasons that one might come. You come with your family. You come to save your reputation. Here, they came for miracles. Today, health and wealth. You come for prosperity. You come for security, for friendships. Why have you come to Jesus? Have you come for pardon? 
And do you come with the faith of these five? Come to Jesus. With him there's forgiveness, full and free. Amen. The gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, The Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed Churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org.